0: Let me read for us uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20, and then we'll uh, jump in. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice that was like a trumpet which said right on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamon to Thyatira to Sardis to Philadelphia and Laodicea I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and turning I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash round his chest And the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell to his feet like a dead person. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you see, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you see in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches in the seven lampstands are the seven churches, and again, so this is the kind of the first vision that John sees, uh, and on this island. And in verse nine, you have John kind of he's writing this to the believers there in those these seven churches that we'll see, uh, but as he kind of portrays himself, you know, he says that he participates with his uh, brothers in in what ways? What are some ways that he participates? The interesting thing is all my questions, you're going to have all the answers now because you have all the notes. So, Wait, tribulation. tribulation. That's the first one. In fact, in the NIV I read is suffering, but every time you see, especially in the book of Revelation, the word for suffering is tribulation which is the interesting part, and we'll do a kind of a, a word study here in a couple of weeks on that word tribulation, of what that means and, and so forth, because we'll get into this question of um, the great tribulation and what happens with that and, and where the believers are at with all that. But tribulation, suffering. You. So, <laughs> so you have, where all of a sudden... You have John there saying, You know, I'm particip I'm this companion, I'm your participating with you in this suffering that you are enduring. What type of suffering are they enduring at this point in time? Because when he was preaching the word of God, so they were against that, that's why he got exiled. You got exiled. If you remember the history kind of last time, who's the, who's the Roman emperor at this time? Domitian, Domitian. The second wave of persecution going on. So it's that suffering, that 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 tribulation that they're going through. John says, I'm participating with you. What's the next thing he says that he's participating in with? I join your brother and kingdom. companion in the suffering or tribulation in kingdom. the kingdom. What kind of kingdom is John referring to there? Kingdom. Kingdom, of kingdom of God. Yeah, we talked about that last week. This eternal kingdom, the kingdom that the Messiah was going to usher in. Uh, Daniel uh, images uh, where you have the you have the that statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, and each part of that statue represents a different kingdom. And then you have this stone from heaven coming and crashing down the whole statue. This eternal kingdom. Uh, Right now is a spiritual kingdom that will lead to a physical kingdom at the end of the book of Revelation. So not only does he participate in the tribulation, their suffering, in this kingdom they have, but what's the third one? Patience, endurance. endurance. The uh, endurance means that they can hang on or continue under difficult circumstances. And they're enduring in whom? In Jesus, exactly. John is writing to the believers and saying, basically saying, listen, fellow believers, you're my friends and you're going through this with me because you're suffering, I'm suffering, you're not exiled on Patmos with me, but this is what we're experiencing. Does that make sense? So those, that's the companions is like the, the fellow believers there in those cities. And so you have this an enduring. And this is one of the big, what we will see in the book of Revelation is that theme. Endurance to the end in Christ. The ability to hang on in their, in their faith and understanding of, of Jesus Christ and not walk away or give up. That enduring to the end. Uh, that's what Paul talks about, even, uh, and so that's uh, under difficult circumstances the ability to hang on, to continue, uh, to follow Christ. And so, then John goes on and says, after he says all those things, you know, I, John, your brother, uh, I am this a fellow companion in these things. I was the island on, I was on the island of Patmos because of what? Because of preaching the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I'm reading a book um, dealing with uh, what's called, the book is called The Persecution in the uh, Early Church. And one of the reasons is is when it talks about like the Roman Empire and why Nero went after the Christians and then a few years later Domitian goes after Christians and and they, there's these constant waves where the Roman Empire goes after the believers. And, and the reason why is because Rome was all about keeping peace. And, and part of their plan of keeping peace was, was they accepted all religions... And, and as long as all religions accepted all other religions, they were okay with that. You could believe it whatever you want to believe it. And as long as you worship the, the emperor on top of that, that's what you want for. Well, also you have these Christians that were like, no, we're not going to worship the emperor. No, we, we think the, the, this religion is serving false gods. We believe in the one true God, the creator God. And so the Romans thought though that believers were being intolerant and that's why a lot of times they went after them uh, is because of that they, they, they did not think that they were keeping the peace that Rome was fighting for. So, uh, which is an interesting perspective. But that's why John is there on the island of Patmos and he writes to these seven churches and again I showed you that, that map uh, where you have Ephesus, and it's a one big giant loop that they would have traveled. Uh, it's called a, the Circular Road. Uh, there starts in Ephesus, up to Smyrna, Pergamon, and, and so forth. Um, and these are the seven cities of the churches that John is writing to. And then we get to this vision, verse 12. So that's all introduction. And then we get the verse 12. What does John hear? A voice. If you get the verse, sorry, verse 11, he hears a voice, the voice is like what? Voice of a voice of the trumpet. Now, he probably didn't hear a trumpet, but when you think of a trumpet, what type of noise is it? Is it a soft noise or a loud noise? A loud noise. It's a loud noise. Something to get your attention. That's what John is saying there. That as... He is there on the island of Patmos, probably by himself. Uh, Maybe he was in that cave that, uh, you know, if you go to the monastery there in Patmos that you can uh, see this cave. He probably was there by himself. And and all of a sudden, as he is there on the Lord's day, which is what day? Sunday. Sunday. As he is there on Sunday, he hears this loud voice like a trumpet. And so it's, it's... Loud enough to get his attention, and that's why and that's where he commands you know write these things that you see on the scroll, so he hears this voice, and that's what it says so so in verse twelve he turns around and trying to see you know where is his voice coming from, and that's kind of the scene here he he's He's not really paying attention. All of a sudden, this voice says this, and then he's like, "Okay, who's speaking? What's going on?" Uh, and the, and so forth. And then, as he turns around, what does he see? Seven golden lampstands. And this is traditionally what a Jewish lampstand looks like. This is what the 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 lampstand in the uh, tabernacle or temple would look like. Uh, nowadays, if you if you traditionally what do we put on top of the lampstands that are like this mm-hmm. candles but in in the Jewish culture it was more like this they had a, a bulb of oil and then a wick in there and so so that's why this would be called a lamp and this was a lamp stand because on the top of it was just basically uh, cups where these play bowls would be put on and then they would uh, keep oil uh, keep filling it up there's another uh, d- design as well something like this where it's the same idea but they the, that pinches on the front is what do you think why would they pinch that on the front to pour the oil in or pour it out? Well, to so that so that the wick stays in place. Uh, that was that was their way of making sure that the wick didn't fall down. Because you imagine if you just had an open one like that, that the uh, eventually the the wick could fall down uh, into it. Anybody, has anybody ever used an uh, an oil lamp? How often does do you have to replace the wick? Not very often. Not very often. Why? The oh, the oil. Oil, oil. Oil. The yeah, the only time you usually burn the wick, at least in my experiences, is, is when you run out of oil and then it burns the wick down. Um, and then it's a nightmare. The seventh day would in the Jewish Sabbath day is Saturday, the Lord's day is Sunday, uh, and that's. What happened is in the early church they started meeting on Sunday because of Resurrection Day, and that's why they call it the Lord's oh, okay. Day. Okay, Does that make sense? Yes. So, so yes. yes. Yep. I'm yeah. I'm on the same thing. First ten. Yeah. In the spirit. Yeah. Exactly. I know they say vision. Yeah. Like, in the spirit. What exactly, or how would that be understood? Yeah. There's a lot of. Well, yeah, the Spirit was there. The spirit, he feels, in the brain, yeah. Body? yeah, well, they, there's, there's a lot of debates about what that means. That's why I kind of hesitate because some people will say, some people will say is, that, oh, he was... In the, some people will say, oh, he was worshiping God on the Lord's day. That uh, he was uh, in, in the Spirit that way. Other people will say that that as he's there on Patmos, that that he, uh, because of the spirit living inside of him and, and and so forth, because like his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that he is um, just overwhelmed by like the fullness of the spirit and so forth, like that. Um, yeah. Other people kind of say that that would be worshiping in tongues. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things we have to be careful of is reading too much into things. Uh, sometimes there's a lot of symbolism, and there's a lot of words here that uh, we have to make sure that we don't read too much into the words. And and it'd be and get to the, and it's okay to say, "Yeah, good question. Who knows? Too bad we can't jump in our." time machine and go back and see what john was like uh, we do know that he was and it could just be a simple fact as like what paul is saying he was in the spirit meaning he was a believer in jesus uh, as simple as that now the same thing happens the same wording happens in revelation chapter four verse two that after he sees that vision uh he um And he receives the seven letters to the churches. He then looks up and there before him was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first heard speaking to me like a trumpet says, uh, Come up here. And the voice he heard speaking to him like a trumpet was what we were looking at in chapter 1. Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. Verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven. And so it could just be a simple fact that because he is dealing with spiritual things and 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 that he's having this vision, uh, I'm not saying like he's having this vision of the spiritual in the spiritual realm. The seven golden lampstands aren't there right on Patmos with him. Does that make sense? Like this 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 person that he sees, uh, like is is more of a spiritual vision as opposed to if some fellow prisoner walks by and is like, hey, where did you get some loaded lampstands from? What type deal? Like, they're not going to see the same thing. Kind of like with Paul, when he, when he's on the road to the, when Saul, uh, when he's on the road to Damascus, he sees Jesus. But none of the other people with him see Jesus. So it, it could be, uh, some of that as well—that he is in the spirit, that God has opened his eyes to the spiritual realm, and that he is seeing these things now, uh, because God's allowing him to see it. And that's exactly what this vision is all about—is to introduce to John some very important things that will that we'll see all throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. Yeah. How long has he been here before we started seeing his vision? We have no idea. Oh. So, we just know that, we just know from early church history that he is on this island for somewhere around, I think if I remember right, the last time, somewhere around like 10 to 14 years, and it's sometime during that time when he sees this, so. So he's by himself. Well, he's not by, he's with other prisoners. Okay. The island of Patmos, if you go back, uh, the island of Patmos is, uh, it's not a very big island, but it was a, a prison camp um, where they would send the Roman, Roman the Roman Empire would send prisoners there. That's Great Britain does that to what, uh, what country? Australia. Australia. I mean they didn't want the, their prisoners to get away so the best way to do that is put them in, uh, on an island. Um, Alcatraz was that way. Until somebody uh, escaped, oh, they did, and then and then they shut down Alcatraz because they thought, oh, this wasn't it's not as. Uh. So that's what. So that's why he's there. Is they put him in a like a prison camp, a labor camp, uh, for um for the Roman Empire. So, so yeah. So as uh, he is there on the island of Patmos on Sunday, he. He hears this voice and he turns around to see it and there he sees the of course the seven golden lampstands and the seven golden lampstands as we'll find out they represent uh, they represent what 7 days the, the seven churches and that we'll see that in the end of chapter uh, sorry verse 20 there But then he sees this. And it's interesting the reason why when you look at this vision and when you look at the book of Acts, one of the words that we will see over and over and over again is the word like. Because John, the reason why he uses that word is because in some ways John is seeing these things and he is like, okay, how am I supposed to put what I see in human terms? And so he's like, well, this... What I'm seeing here is like this, or like that, and and you will see that phrase over and over again to the point where um, it is used so much in the book of Revelation that uh, sometimes, because of redundancy, uh, our English translations won't translate them all the time. Same thing in in the Gospel of Mark mark uses the word immediately so much immediately jesus is doing this immediately jesus is doing that immediately jesus is doing this that they that the goes to the point where the commentator the uh translators and especially the english professors that kind of polish things are like you just don't say that word all that time that much in in english so so they actually will cut some of those out uh but one of the things over here is, as John is this, sees this vision of this person, he uses the word like. His eyes were like. His hands had this. His feet were like. And again, it's not that they were exactly like. Like his feet weren't really bronze, but they looked like bronze. And how he describes them, and so, and they all have meaning. Uh, and reason. In fact, here's the description, and we'll go through each and every, every one of this, but just kind of briefly. He, This guy, this person, now he says, uh, verse 13, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man. Again, the son of man refers to, well, he was like a person who was standing there. Yeah, some people will see that as a reference back to um, Daniel, the Son of Man, or Jesus using that phrase, the Son of Man. It more than likely just means that as John is seeing this, uh, this vision, he sees the seven golden lampstands, and within the midst, or as a person, he sees a person figure there, and then he describes this person. He was dressed in a long robe with a golden sash, his hair was white like wool or snow. And we know what that all is like this weekend, what the white like snow is. Eyes like flames of fire. Feet like pure brass or bronze. Uh, that word is, is kind of questionable uh, because it's only used... Um, here in, in Revelation a couple of times and no one no one really knows what type of metal John is referring to um, and so that's why we come up with brass brass or bronze and we'll take a look at that here in a few minutes the voice is like a sound of, of mighty water or, or much water uh, in his right hand that was the seven stars and we'll look at the, what those are coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in power. Now, if you try to draw all that, you would, uh, an artist, uh, and, they, and they have tried, you can Google uh, the person John refers to in, in the book of Revelation 1, and it's uh, weird weird pictures. I'll just tell you that. Because, but John is not describing this so that we can get, hey, this is what Jesus looks like, or this is what the, this person looks like each one is symbolic. And it's symbolic referring to who this person, ultimately Jesus, is. And that's what the point of all this. Isn't so much to say, hey, let's uh, have these artists draw draw a picture of Jesus. Um, But this is what his symbolic is. And so the first one is that dressed in a long robe with a golden sash. When John... And some of these images, his readers would have known, so he doesn't have to explain any of this. We don't usually go walking around with robes, um, unless you have, like, housecoat or something like that, or or a toga party, I guess. Uh, some sometimes um, Greek uh, culture, but uh, you. But when you think of these long robes. It was the dignitaries or the rulers, people of high rank, would wear these long, flowing robes, and they would come practically down to to their feet. Why do you think a a slave or a servant would not wear a long robe? They would trip. They would trip. Their duties. They want to be able They want to be able to run fast. The same thing with this golden sash is is found where? What location uh, here? The golden sash is around his what? His chest, meaning it's high. Again, the servants wore belts around their waist because they would want to, if they were working in the fields, they would gird up their loins, uh, take their, their, their robes, tuck them up into their belt and made short so that they could work and they could run. Well, it's hard to gird up your loins if, you're, if you put it way up in your chest uh, like that. Uh, it's a sign of, the reason why the upper class would wear their sasses around their chest is a sign of saying, I don't work. I'm, I'm privileged. And it's a sign of high rank. And so that's so, as John is seeing this one, he sees this as a a person is wearing a long robe with a golden sash around his chest, meaning this is a person of high class, high dignity, high rank, a high ruler, uh, a mighty ruler, high priest. The priest, the Old Testament, the priest would wear the long robes as well. And so. Again, each of these things is a symbolic of of who ultimately Jesus is. That Jesus is that ruler overall. The next one. Hair as white as wool or snow. Now usually when you age what color does your hair become? I am. White. Gray. Gray. Now in our culture nowadays, when you're when you become like um Me. in your thirties and forties and all of a sudden you find your 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 gray hair, what typically do you start doing? Pulling them out. Pulling them out. coloring it.
1: Coloring it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a
0: but in the in biblical time, the first century time, uh gray hair and white hair was a sign of great wisdom. Exactly. So don't color your hair, just walk around. My grandma, uh, she has the whitest hair that I've ever seen, even at Beach Run. So, uh, that's, uh, but she went white when she was uh, mid-30s. And uh, and she uh, she hated it. Until she became a grandma, and then uh, she loved it because she is like, uh, um, I, I finally, I finally, I'm finally at the age where I fit in with my hair, is what uh, her, her saying was. So. But, it was uh, but it is that sign of wisdom. And of course, this is perfect wisdom. And then you get into the Old Testament passages. And again, a lot of these have the book of Revelation is heavy. On Old Testament wisdom, it's oh, our Old Testament sim- symbolism, and you get into Daniel chapter seven verse nine. And uh, does anybody want to read that? Uh, turn that, uh, Daniel chapter seven verse nine. So in the Daniel's vision, he sees whose head is white like wool. God, the Ancient of Days, and so all of a sudden. The same image, and again, the, the the people that John is writing to knows all these uh, images that, from the Old Testament. The people this John uses the same image and is like his like the same wording. His his uh, hair it was white as wool or snow. All of a sudden, they think, well, this is God. This is God who's in the midst of the, of the uh, of these candles um and of course uh it is god it's uh not god the father but god the son jesus and so again that perfect wisdom of knowing uh, because uh, in that culture you wanted to have the whitest hair as possible as you age so that people could see that you are a very wise person the next thing eyes like what Fire. Flames of fire, and fire is is usually is referring to judgment, and so you have this person who is in the midst of these these seven lampstands, and of course the seven lampstands referring to the churches, and it's this understanding of uh, you know divine insight that penetrates. And understands the human need. And you think about that? You know, God knows our hearts better than we even know our own hearts. Which is why, as people say, I mean, so many times people are like, oh, I can't I can't I can't be honest with God. What? God already knows your, your thoughts before you even say them. So so just go to God in prayer and be honest with Him. Uh, and it's that understanding of even judgment, and you think about what's going to happen in chapters uh, two and three, as as Jesus tells John, these things are against the seven churches. I mean, he's really bringing judgment. And not only that, in the book of Revelation, after that, what happens with the, the seven uh, the uh, the bulls and the trumpets and the and the seals? I mean, that's judgment mentality and so that again the understanding that that eyes like fire that judgment is, is coming uh, feet here's the, the feet um, again we're not typed exactly sure what type of metal but our translations will say either brass or bronze and it's particularly if you look at that verse 15 his feet were like bronze and then it Goes on and says what polished, refined in a furnace, Refinest. 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 glowing. When you have a metal, especially if you think of like gold, and that's the picture we usually. You have to go. It goes through a refining process. And why does it go through a refining process? it gets all the impurities out so that at the end of that refining process all you are left with was hundred percent pure gold and that's the exact same thing that they had to do with uh, this metal brass or bronze uh, what we call it is is that they had to go through this refining process to get it, 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 it useful and you'll see there that it was a sign of glory and strength because this particular metal was only used for military purposes, for this, for, for, uh, for like, um, weapons. weapons thank you. For weapons and, and so forth. And so you have this understanding that, that as his feet are like this 100% pure metal, it is this understanding again, this military strength, power above everything else, this absolute purity. There's no wickedness or evil in this person at all, and then the, his voice is like what? Water. 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 water, much and not just a little water, much water, mighty water. Think about gushing water. Has mm-hmm. anybody have been to Niagara Falls? Mm-hmm. It's loud. It is very loud. Um, One of the first times Marguerite visited my family, I can tell all these stories about Marguerite tonight because she can't defend herself. Uh, One of the first times Marguerite visited my family when we were dating, uh, because we were living in Erie at the time, uh, my parents were like, Hey, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? And she was like, No, I've never been there. And we said, Sir, why don't we go? So, winter break, we were heading to Niagara Falls and uh, probably the coldest day up in Niagara Falls that had ice on it and everything was gorgeous. But but the the volume you can you like you can't have a conversation sitting next to the rails. Uh, if you do, you you're yelling, uh, and then half the conversation you don't you don't understand. This that's that deafening sound of is like that voice power strength. But also and again the first the readers that John is referring to this would have known these verses of Ezekiel where where the voice of God is called the same thing. And so the question becomes, keeps coming and saying, okay, John, who are you identifying this person as? Well, through some of these images, you all know, well, this is God. And ultimately we know here in a few moments when this person speaks, well, it's Jesus. And this is one of these scenes that we can point to the fact that that you know you have God the Father and you have God the Son, and 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 God the Son is seen as as equal to God the Father because of the, some of these images that in the Old Testament it talks about God the Father. Now it's talking about God the Son. It's talking about about God. In His right hand are the seven stars. Scripture, right hand equals power. And authority strong right arm you see that uh, in archaeologists uh, pictures depictions kings they have their scepter in their right arm and they're holding it out and usually that's then they have their enemies kind of underneath there that, that the Sun is saying I've conquered you I have power over you I have authority over you and really the the, the seven stars are these angels of these seven churches? And we'll get into some of the debate about that. what are they, what is the, what I was referring to these seven angels. But really what, God, what this person's is, image is saying is you know, that, that God has authority over these churches. God's authority. God is the power. He is supreme over all. Coming out of his mouth is what? Sarp double Sar- double-edged double sword. Now it's interesting. The Romans uh, had this is the sword of for their cavalry. They it wasn't so much this little dagger, but it was this mighty sword that they would they would as they're riding on their chariots and horses and stuff that they would hold. Uh, double-edged means what? You can cut which way? Okay. Both ways. This is why they were just kind of like swinging it back and forth as they walked, rode on through the the battle this understanding of proclamation of truth as this person is speaking proclaiming it, they only speak the truth new testament there's paul refers to what as a double edged sword the word, the word of god same same understanding God's word is truth and it penetrates, and sometimes we don't always like it because it does bring judgment. And then finally, the last thing he sees is his face or his appearance it is like the sun shining in power or in um, brilliance. <clears throat> when you look at the well, you when on a very hot sun, sunny day, when the sun is fully out, are you supposed to look at the sun? No, no. Look the sun. It, is. it is, it is, it will blind you <laughs> exactly. And that's what is referring to here. That, in a sense, as John's looking at this, he's probably squinting. And again, it's just that understanding of the glory of the Lord. You think of Moses at Mount Sinai, he's up on Mount Sinai for those days. He has he comes down into the camp and what do they what is his face like? They could look at it. it is signing. Signing. So what do they do to him? Put they put him. a veil over him, his face. The glory of the Lord. It is interesting when you look at the end of the book of Revelation and how the new heavens and the new earth and no. I'm skipping way into the end. The new heavens and the new earth, one of the things that we're told is it needs no sun because the light comes from whom? Jesus. It's Jesus from God. And so many times you look at Genesis and it says, in the beginning, God, first day, in the beginning, God creates what? Well, God creates the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning, God, first day, God says, let there be light. And people are constantly looking at that and they're saying, well, the sun isn't made until, I think it's the fourth day. So where is the world the lights coming from? From God. He's the light. He is the light. He's giving light to the earth. He doesn't make the light producers until later on. And that's why in Revelation, you don't need the, the sun because God is giving light from His glory. And so you see this, again, this person, John describes it, and we know that this person is is divinity because how does John, What? how does he respond to this? What is his reaction to this vision? What does he do? He falls down. He falls down. And he does this several times within the book of Revelation where he will fall down. And the understanding of falling down is that he is... I mean, he even says this. Um, I fell to his feet like a dead person. And that is a sign, uh, verse 17, is again, as you, as you uh, also the sign that he is falling face down, prostrate, worshiping, that's again the Jewish culture. Uh, they would pray with their hands, raised to the heavens, and a lot of times they would fall face down as they worship God. And other times when John does this, especially when he does it to angels, does anybody know what the angels say? To get up. To get up. Only God is to be worshipped. And so we know that this, and that's why we also know in the Old Testament there's times when people will bow down and uh, to, to like... Uh, Joshua will bow down to the angel of the Lord that comes, and, and the angel of the Lord doesn't say, No, 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 don't worship me. I'm just, no, he, he accepts it because he's Jesus in the pre incarnate Jesus. And so now, here, he doesn't say, No, 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 don't worship, but instead he places his right hand, and then Jesus describes himself. And this is what he says I'm the first and the last. Other times in Revelation it talks about I'm the Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. Meaning I was there at the beginning way before anything else was. And I'll be at the end. Into all of eternity. I'm the Living One. Why Why does here Jesus, why does He describe Himself as the Living One? Because He rose again. Because he continues to be alive uh, forever and ever. Uh, I hold, uh, I possess the, the keys of death, and you know, some translations will say hell, but it is Hades. We'll get into some more of that in the weeks ahead, what that is referring to. But why does Jesus say that he possesses the keys of death in Hades or the grave? The other way of saying Hades is the grave. If you have the keys to something, that's a sign of authority. Like if you have keys to your car, you can drive your car. You have authority over that car. Um, you put your key in the car, and you, and uh, hopefully it starts. Uh, uh, the battery is kicks on and everything. In the in scripture, when you have the keys, you have authority, and that's uh, again. Jesus is saying, "Listen, I'm over death. I'm over the grave. I have authority over those. You don't have to be afraid." Again, they're facing these. These believers are facing persecution. They're facing like the some of them are will even get killed through this. And this is supposed to be a, an encouragement of hope for them. And they're seeing Jesus as saying, "Listen, you don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of the grave." I have authority over that. Why why does Jesus have authority over that? Because he is the He's, creator. he's the Creator. He's the living one. He conquered death in the grave. It goes back to what we looked at last week. He's that firstborn from the dead ones. And so all throughout this as we wrap up is this is as again we know this person to be Jesus we know that the images that John gives us and how he describes this person I mean this person uh, with the Old Testament energy I mean this is the, the this is God the Son of God standing there who will then Paul, as we move on to the um, the seven ch- the letters to the seven churches uh, he will then speak and say, this is what I have against this one this one this one and so forth but this was all over and you will see this vision come back into play time and time again. This is all showing John and the re- the, the, the readers that Jesus has the all all the power and authority over everything in heaven and on earth. He's holding these, these uh, the seven stars, these angels of the seven churches in his hands. The seven lampstands are there, and and he now turns and addresses uh, these letters. But this is again just that understanding that you know Jesus is over. all. you, you don't have to worry about Caesar. You don't have to worry about where history is going. God's in control, and His word is truth, and we can stand upon it that Jesus is supreme overall.